What is going on? This is Michael Hacker with the Hacker Outdoors. Today I'm joined by both Brian Hacker and Joey McCormick, where we talk about pirate history unfolding in New England, Joey's most recent bass fishing tournament on the Delaware River, and Michael continues his musky mania 2021 with another near miss. We hope you enjoy, and without further ado. Well, we've got a doozy for everyone today. So welcome to the Hacker Outdoors podcast. Apologize for the lack of show last week. Um, my bad, not these gentlemen's <laughs> fault. <laughs> I uh, I think I fell asleep at like 7 p.m. one night. It was horrendous. Uh, it's always just one of those like mind-numbing weeks. Um, so I'm doing better, I promise. Um, welcome, guys. I appreciate you. Uh, joined today by both Brian Hacker and Joey McCormick here. Uh, we've got a we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about and um, I'm going to start with this because I was just telling Brian before we hit record here and Joe I, I don't know if I sent this to you but um, you know I get some pop-ups once in a while for things that you may like right on the uh on the apple iphone um so according to smithsonian magazine 17th century coins found in a fruit grove may solve a 300 year old pirate mystery intrigue pirate mystery pirate mystery so amateur historian jim bailey was mystified by arabic writing undiscovered loot long story short in 2014 this metal detectorist so this is a you know, big thing. I actually was telling Brian, I joined before this, all these forums on, uh, on Facebook, I should say groups or whatever pages you want to call them about artifact hunting in New Jersey. And, and just something I love. I enjoy history and I enjoy little trinkets. So I said, why not? Well, you know, I've got some cool st- stuff around my house that I found over the years. It'd be cool to kind of see what other people find. And uh, maybe that's where they got it from. But basically, Treasure hunters across New England uncovered more Arabian coins from the same time period, so 17th century. Um, early European settlers were not engaged in trade with the merchants from the Arabic world at the time. So how did they land in the colonies? So research conducted by this amateur historian basically helped piece together this whole story about the pirate captain Henry Every and how he basically melded in or melted into the um, New England culture and doing so of course some of his pirate treasure had uh, been spread around there so Brian do you want to give us a little little update on that that was kind of cool I think it's a an awesome story yeah you know um the Henry every interesting story he's actually one of the pirates who wasn't pirating in the Caribbean at this time so this is right during the golden age of the Caribbean. Um, and he went and he sacked, I think it was a ship from India. So it was, um, I think, I think what happened Correct. was the ship, the ship was coming from, uh, from Mecca going back to India. And it was part of the, uh, what was the name of the, the Maja, Maja, um, I forget the, the term for it, but basically the, the emperor of India at the time. And uh, it was one of his ships, so it was loaded with his gold. His so ship was talking- called the Fancy. Yeah, so he was in the Red Sea, so he could rob mm-hmm. the Ganji Sawai. I'm going to slaughter that, and I apologize, which mm-hmm. is the Indian Emperor Aurangzeb's ship. So that's, yeah. yeah. And this is a real famous, very wealthy uh, emperor at the time. And at the time, uh, the 
the East India Trading Company, which everyone that watches Pirates of the Caribbean knows very well at this point, uh, they were running the world. Um, you know, they were the world trade. Uh, they they were shut down from trading because of what happened when they robbed that ship. I'm going to get in the nitty gritty of it because a lot of bad stuff happened. You need to remember that pirates weren't good people. The vast majority of them were not good, and what they did was bad. Um, but every was the leader of this ship, and they caught a bunch of his sailors, but they never caught him. Um, they caught his sailors. I think it was in Ireland, and then they caught some sailors in um, somewhere in in the Americas. It might be in the islands, but um, they found gold to bloom with them in both places. So the common theory is that he was uh, he was laundering the 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 gold to bloom wherever he was going and all the you know obviously everyone gets a piece on the ship so uh you know it, it would make sense that he would be in rhode island or, or you know new england somewhere and uh you know th- this is right when you know america was starting to get very wealthy so i'm sure uh new- the newport mansions uh i'm sure one of those families have some kind of background related to uh to this man it's, it's well, I thought it was interesting, especially, you know, those of us who loved the, uh, was it Stars show? Mm-hmm. Um, Black Sails, right? Um, and in that, it's the kind of prequel to one of my favorite stories, right? Um, Treasure Island. Treasure Island. And the captain in the story, not to ruin it for everyone, kind of something happens that's very reminiscent to this story. So um, if you haven't seen that, I would definitely recommend watching uh, Black Sails. I absolutely freaking love that tv show but pirates were horrendous people do not give into the fantasy of it all um mm-hmm. joe knows all about pirates uh pirates of the past world um but definitely cool we'll link to it in the in the show notes i thought that was that was interesting and i you know, there's actually a pope pirate one of the pope popes was a, one of the po- one of the catholics popes was a pirate did you know that no i did not what was his name i forget his name off the top of my head but if you just google the Pope pirate, he will pop up. He was one of the, remember the one time in period where the Catholic church had three popes. He was one of them. Yes. Ranker.com. How a pirate became the Pope of the Roman Catholic empire. Makes sense. Money and power. He was kidnapped and then he just ended up becoming a pirate on his own. And then he went back and became a Pope. Wow. He reigned as Pope John, the 10, 11, 12, uh, 10, 20, 23. Pope John Paul, the 23rd. Wow, get out of here. 1410 to 1415. That's pretty wild. That's uh, mm-hmm. some, learn something new every day. It's called the Pope Pirate. Pope wild. Pirate. And a lot of pirates did their pirating off the coast of North Carolina. It's true. Uh, where Blackbeard's ship is. You can dive on it if you, could, Oak, if you go out. Oak with Oak no, Oak it's, Oak, it's right? actually off of um, Beaufort, North Carolina. Oh, wow. It's about 10 minutes from a room mother's places queen anne's revenge well i always we we talked about this before on the show and then just the whole you know the treasure coast of florida right like you go after a storm and like these guys find gold to blooms and spanish coins and like you name it like all this sorts of stuff washes up now stuff like that happens from time to time here and um i think if you take it even a take a step back from pirate treasure there's a lot of crap out there that people find so on this treasure hunting forum um people are posting stuff that they find like colonial coins 
right? Like coins from the 1700s, 1800s, um, you know, buttons from the Civil War, right? Like, and they're, I think some of them are probably, you know, metal detecting, we'll say, in places that they probably shouldn't be, but, you know, we're not snitches. If you go go to a Civil War battlefield, you can find buttons pretty fairly easy, but you're not supposed to be on there. Yeah. That's very illegal. so New Jersey, in your in the state parks, you're not allowed to metal detect. Um, I think wildlife management areas is the same thing. Some county parks and even local parks don't allow it either. But a lot of the guys and gals in the forum, it sounds like they go to old schoolyards, schools that have been around for, you know, since the 1800s, maybe even beyond, um, go to places where they know that there used to be old structures, old dumps, and they just metal detect throughout there and find some pretty cool stuff. Um, you mm-hmm. know, there's someone who found a one of the first year that coke made coke they found a bottle from that uh which is kind of cool too if you're into you know bottles for whatever reason but uh, a lot of history out there to be found so uh the place to really look is if you know where old house was and you know where their outhouse was and you dig at that location you will find so much stuff so Even though theoretically you're digging less well, that's, that's yeah. any archaeological dig i mean that's one of the first places they look for either the, the, the bathrooms where the bathrooms were or the dump mm-hmm. the privy, the I, took privy. A, I took an arc i took an archaeology class and uh it was funny that it was the first thing and people were actually walking out of the class when because he said it on the first day he's like he's like we're going to talk a lot about privies here he's like because every archaeological dig he's like we've you know that's ever happened has started at the privy he's and like, x never marks the spot never <laughs> never <laughs> we can oh. think about it in the old days, when you're in the outhouse, you just throw anything down that hole. And that's what yeah, do. all your garbage. Mm-hmm. And they move it every once in a while. So. Like if you watch the, only... the Sierra Gordo guy, the guy who bought Sierra Gordo, yes. he found a lot of stuff. The stuff he found is where the dumps were, or like where outhouses were. Mm-hmm. Those areas. Well, also, they were hiding stuff, too. So, like, if you were yeah. afraid of pirates or you were afraid of, you know, theft, you would bring stuff to the outhouse or to the privy and you would hide, you know, whatever, your jewelry or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know, bad things happen to people and, you know, that stuff got lost into history. So you can find some really cool stuff out there in the privy. Um, so let's see here. So we have, Joe, you had a tournament last weekend. I did. I did. You had two tournaments in two weekends, though. No? I had one last weekend. In the... So we didn't record last weekend. Or, or it was last two weeks week. ago. I had one last weekend, and I have one this weekend, and I have one next weekend, and I have one the following weekend. So, t- so tell me a little bit. I, I, you gave me a rundown on your way home as I was kind of running about myself. Um, you were up here in the Dirty Jers. Yeah. Oh. Well, technically, we launched out of Pennsylvania, but we were we were on the Delaware River. Um, it was good. I mean, no big fish are caught, but enough that I placed. I forget where I placed fourth. I think I placed fourth in that, right? Yeah, you said fourth. fourth. It, fourth. it was fourth. So, so I what, mean, it was what really good. It was league was this? It's the ABA, the, the Pennsylvania Division, American okay. Bass Anglers Association. So like each state has their own um, tournament trail. And, and you were was... you were launching out of Pennsylvania into the Delaware River. Yep. And you came in fourth place. You were teamed up with the tour director am i wrong in that well paired so it's it's it's, it's 
everybody fishes against everybody in that series. I, I think it's called the, not the open series. I, I forget the name of it, but if you're coing, you're, you're going against the boaters. You're competing against the boaters. Boaters, you know, everybody against everybody. All for, you know, one, you're, you're competing against everybody. So there's no co-angler class. There's no boater. So it's just overall, whoever catches the best fish, you know, wins. So my boater was the tournament director. And uh, we had a good day later in the day. Um, we made a little discovery late in the day. Actually, it was full high tide and what Delaware River, the tide has huge tide swings, like up to six, seven feet on high tide. And we found this little creek and it was some bizarre thing that we could not explain right outside the mouth of the creek the tide was ripping in like you wouldn't believe but for some reason the creek was sucking out so it was doing the complete exact opposite of what was happening and that creek because it was sucking out just like caused the fish in that creek to bite where it was it almost seemed like every it was pretty much almost every cast you could get a bite could have did better but um when you get Paired with the with the director, he he's got to get off the water earlier to set up for the weigh-in. So I, I lost about forty-five minutes, probably probably really about an hour of fishing. That could have made a huge difference, but it's okay. Yeah, but you still came in fourth, which is awesome. Yeah, um, solid. If, can we go back for a second? I I'm intrigued a little bit. So I fish. You're in the Southern Delaware fishing here, right? So you're in the Philadelphia Trenton area. Uh, yes, for those of you familiar just, with New Jersey and PA. Literally just south of Trenton is where we took okay. off. So and that actually is affected by the tides more than the upper Delaware, which I'm used to fishing. Um, and when you were out, you were on this boat and we were talking about, you know, kind of the, what it is you were looking for here, right? You saw that the, the creek, the tide was kind of rushing out. How did you see that? What did you, what actually caught your eye? Was it the how, how does it look? I'm a little confused. So there's these do there were docks right here, like on our left side. Okay. In front of us, like so we were like, in front of us, the water like pinched down. There was a creek in front of us, and there was a creek to the right of us. And the water was pushing in so hard because of tide, like it was coming up in seconds. For some reason, I, I was looking at the creek to the right of us, passing there, I caught a fish, and I was watching that creek and just noticed that it was for some reason, something was happening that was causing that creek to suck out while it was really supposed to be coming in. Mm. How it was happening, I can't explain. Like you can kind of understand if it's happening if it's like if one end of the, like the top part of the creek had the tide coming in, it was like pushing it back out. But I don't think that it was just a creek where it just ended up. At, you know, it was very small and it ended up at the top of it. Well, there's only one reason, explanation. I'm going to be honest. Supernatural alien. Sasquatch. <laughs> could be that. It could be that. I need like a drawing board to show, but like, you know, if it was like a horseshoe. <laughs> Joe, give us a, give us a play by play here. Draw it out, Joe. Draw it out. If it was like a horseshoe creek kind of deal, like this, yeah. so like the tide was pushing from like the main river into it, like it would make sense that where it came back out somewhere else, would be, it would be pushing the water kind of. But that was not the case with this creek. It just like went. Right up into this like industrial yard and, and stopped for some Bizarre. reason. It was sucking out there like you couldn't believe. Like so what but what in a situation like that causes the bass to go crazy, right? You gotta think of it, it's like a smorgasbord. They just sit there and all the baits just flying by them. So they can just go like rump, rump, rump and just eat it, you know? Great, no great sound effects. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. When that tie starts yeah. sucking, 
the yeah. fish will just kind of stay there and it's just like a smorgasbord of just food coming past yeah. them and we'll just come out and eat it and literally there was probably a period of 40 minutes where every cast maybe except one or two but i, I caught a fish and, and in a situation like that if someone was to come across it are you throwing what paddle tails uh crankbaits are you you know i was throwing a crankbait but yeah. I, it depends on the time of year but they're eating i mean when they're eating like that it's kind of hard to go wrong go wrong you know um the guy i was fishing with he was throwing um the wacky worm hmm. i was throwing a moving bait and they were just demolishing it absolutely demolishing it i love it they just i love it that's what happens those tidal rivers and you had a better you had a better fishing day than i did that's i was i was proud to hear someone did tough though (laughs) yeah well where where are you this upper bay with the the mlf bfls and uh it hasn't been warm this week you know been raining hasn't gotten very warm so the temperatures are still going to be like right in that maybe that awkward position where they're really Mm -hmm. not eating a lot maybe necessarily because i know i was out there what two weeks ago and it was, it was a club open tournament and there's like 60 boats and i think what did i tell you like only 13 boats called fish the guys in that tournament were not i mean they're the best of the best and you know that many guys not catching it just tells you that it's a yeah. position i mean maybe saturday will be better because it's supposed to be the 60s and it hasn't gotten really cold but it was warm today. It, we had almost, I think it was like 61 or 62 today, which was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, different here. Rain. I, I got to be honest, like I, I got a little frustrated again, right? Because I, I went out in the rain um, and was doing a little bit of musky fishing again. Uh, I posted on my story today. So this is, uh, what's day Wednesday the 14th. So I posted on today. Um, it'll probably be expired by the time this comes up. But, you know, spent, I was the only one on the water for about an hour and a half. Um, did not canoe out myself was shore fishing um but it was cold man and it was dreary but there was so much sign of life and and we'll get to that in a moment the kind of musky mayhem 2021 continues right um but i go on the forums and i see guys catching fish like they're catching bass they're catching you know muskies actually uh the day after i was there when it was raining uh, this guy that I have met there a couple times posted a photo. He caught like a 43-inch muskie. So like, they're there. You just he was on a boat, of course. So that made life a little. It was bit also easier, after sure. the right after the front too. Yeah, it was no. It was the second day of the front. So, so that's what second it was. day of the front, which is even weirder. Yeah, yeah. So we had a uh, pouring rain. Um, but I'm telling you, man, I saw. I guess we'll get into it now. Why the heck not? Um, I saw bait fish leaping out of the water. Like you could see like in the peak, like these tiny little seconds between the squalls that would come through and where it would just be misting a little bit. You would see the, like the bubbles, you'd see the carp kind of doing their thing. Right. And then all of a sudden you start to see like the water moving in certain way, in certain directions, right. Like into the channels and all of a sudden the bait fish would be leaping out of the air. And I'm like, Oh man, that's where I need to get. Um, so I had kind of repositioned myself on the shore a little bit, get to a place where I could cast. I was wearing waders. So I, I, you know, waded in a little bit where I could, right. I don't necessarily want to be standing in the water if I catch a muskie, but Brian's eyes are, are wide there. Um, but, um, sure enough, I saw a massive, probably three to four foot long muskie leap clear out of the water, not just once, but like four or five times over the course of the five hours I was there. 
I had one on, I had one on a finesse and uh, I just, I messed up and I lost it. I was so pissed off and I, I just wasn't ready for it. I, it was one of those strange feelings on the line. I, you know, was not a bass. I can tell you that I've caught plenty of them to know that. Um, and the way that it fought, it just shook it and I lost it. And that was the only hit I had all day long. Um, plenty of other wildlife had a bald eagle saw a beaver or muskrat, not exactly sure what it was, um, but the bait fish were jumping constantly throughout the entire thing. So I think I'm on like our, what, like four trips out so far, uh, you know, in my musky hunt, I would say since last year. Um, so four times musky fishing ever. Um, I'm hoping to, hoping to land one eventually. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I'm, it's frustrating. And the guy, some guy did show up, he was on his boat um, for a little while and we were chatting and he said, uh, he said he doesn't like doing any other fishing anymore. Um, he loves musky fishing and uh, he said it's a hunt and sure enough, it's a drag, but he's like, he spent an hour on the water. It was pouring so hard. He left, he didn't catch anything. Um, but like I said, the next day, another guy that I had met there a few weeks ago, he was on the water and sure enough, he, he posted a photo with that butte. Um, so no muskies, man. And I, I feel like we're getting close to the, uh, to the end where I would safely feel comfortable catching one, uh, before it gets too warm or the water warms up too much. But Joe, you're. They, they, they say the people who like target, uh, muskie, they like, it's too warm. It's like the water is like 72, 74. So you still got a good bit of a time. Yeah. Give a month. Give a solid month. At least. It would I wonder if they're still really cold. Really cold. I mean, because it's, it's still cold down here. It's like in the 50s, low 50s still. Low 50s because, yeah. yeah. you know, like I said, when I was out in the Potomac, I was the last time, the highest I saw was like what did I, 62. Yeah. We were also in like a creek that like the average depth was maybe like two feet, four feet. And the sun that day was like up to 75. People I know who went out last week said they were still seeing temperatures there, like 50s, no, mid 50s, maybe low 60s. So. Well, what's crazy is, is it was like an abundance of life happened out of nowhere when I was there. All of a sudden, I started hearing the frogs go at it. So I'm like, oh crap, let me switch over to a to top water, right? Like, perfect. You hear frog, like literally in the pouring rain, it's freezing cold out. Even when it's freezing, it's cold enough out, right? Like uh, maybe upper 40s 50s and you know pouring and all of a sudden there's like some sort of um, hatch or whatever the hell you want to call it, where the frogs start coming out of the <laughs> the greenery and start swimming so i'm like fishing and i said i hear them and i see this frog like learning how to swim in front of me and he's like getting pecked at by like bluegills and stuff like that and he's just kind of like trying to figure out his legs and it was just super awkward but i was throwing top water because i mean that's happening like it makes sense that there would be some sort of action going on but even on the top water nothing water temperature means more to fish than air temperature yeah they they literally go by the water temperature that's like you could almost follow it two degrees like within plus or minus one what they're supposed to be doing is really based on that water temperature and when it's still cold there's i know for bass bass aren't that active they're not just kind of hunker down to their own thing. And even like if the water temperature gets up to 64 or 65, they'll move up. But then if a cold day comes and it drops, they'll move right back down. I mean, they react to the temperature of the water, what they do. 
it's pretty bizarre how they do it. So within those timelines and within the temperature lines, how they do it. Yeah. I mean, just like how those fish were there all day when I was fishing the Delaware, we didn't catch them pretty much all day until we found that crazy little thing where the tide was sucking out. And guess what? Yeah. There they were. It did, did, you know, that's just how they work. Like, so even though if the frogs are out there and you would think like they're here, they should be eating frogs. Well, it's just funny to me that like some of the fish were super active, right? And then you had like that massive apex predator freaking muskie leaping like a torpedo out of the water, like a, you know, surface air missile or whatever, freaking launching after these bait fish. And, and then nothing else was eating. I mean, it was, it was crazy, but then you had turtles that were going, you had the beaver or muskrat or whatever the heck it was, was obviously attacking stuff. And then you had birds. There was a, eagle going there was freaking hawks flying around you had like there was an abundance of life happening even though it was pouring rain but water temperature was cold and it was like it was a pretty cold day i mean it was cold enough we'll say um but i would say a day on the water like that is well worth it you know being able to experience a lake like that by yourself or pretty damn close to yourself is, is pretty amazing and um I'll do it again, and I'll I'll get skunked any day of the week if I get to be outside like that. That's my opinion, and although it's frustrating, shore fishing is very very tough. I mean, you could be there at the perfect time all the time and still go months without catching fish, months and months and months. Yeah, Donna brought up a good point. I showed her a picture of the muskie that the guy caught the next day, and I said, "Look, this is the guy that I had met like like a couple weeks ago." And she goes, "She goes, oh my god." She goes, "How would you even bring that onto the boat?" And I said. I, you, I wouldn't. I mean, like, it would be very tough to, to land, but, like, I'd put them in the landing net and then, like, leave them overboard in the net and, you know, take the hook out and just basically dump them. I mean, that's it. I'm not going to hold them. I'm not going to bring them onto the boat because, obviously, it's not exactly safe for the fish, and it's also going to be a pain in the butt for me in the canoe. But um, I think if I was on a canoe, uh, on a kayak or something like that, that had a little bit of a flatter top that I could just kind of plop them on my lap and have his mouth over here somewhere and, you know, the business side of things here i don't know but i don't really see them thrashing when you watch guys catching pictures of them you don't see them really like trying to attack you it's kind of like you just go once okay here we are <laughs> but um you know i'd like to if i'm on the canoe I'd, I'd like to at least have someone else on the canoe so that that way they can at least keep us on the straight and narrow because it's just, yeah it's just like a pike just bigger so you bring yeah, the, the onto the canoe yeah and pick that thing yeah. in the net put it up Gill it and hold it up, take a picture, put it back in the water. Right. Well, that's what the GoPro's for because imagine trying to hold your phone out like this. Like, <laughs> I know. With the 42 inch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Trying to get that into a photo, man. Holy cow. Yeah. That place is packed with them, though. I was The guy I was talking to, he was shore fishing at the, uh, when I was walking out, he just had shown up. It's It cleared up a little bit and he's just like, he's like oh, how'd you do, man? And I was like, oh, you know, skunk, but I'm good. He's like, oh, he's like, I f- was fishing here a couple of weeks ago and I got a, caught a beauty. I was like, you always do it from the shore. He goes, yeah. He goes, because yeah, they're this place, man. He's like, I'll tell you. He's like, I had catfish attacking my, um, hit a crankbait on. He said, and the catfish was attacking the crankbait, just like you were talking about, Joe. And I was like, oh, my cousin talks about that. Um, I've never seen it. Um, but, you know, he's, he swears like a monster bass in there. He said, there's all sorts of great fish. Um, he said, there's walleye in there. So, um, whole different range of species you can go for in this yeah, especially 
walleye would be fun. I mean, the water, if there's deep spot with lots of bait, there's, I'm sure there's walleye in there. They, yeah. I'm not a big fish eater. I told you this, but they, 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 they taste really good. It is one like fish it. that's delicious. Well, I'm going to stop reminiscing about my musky palooza 2021 <laughs> and move on. Um, so, you know, supposed to go for stripers this weekend. Uh, I'm kind of contemplating. I'm not kind of, I am contemplating actually not going to the beach for stripers and instead go to the Delaware and try and get the shad. Um, they call it the poor man's tarpon. Um, I've got a nice little spot that I can go to. My buddy was down there. Joe, you laughing at that poor man's tarpon. I'm laughing at you're catching shad now. <laughs> I told you, I just want to catch everything, man. I, you know, it's it's hard to like. You're going to go to the Delaware and you're going to catch a striper. That's what you're going to do. You're not going to. You know, it's true. Shad. You're going to catch a striper. You are. And, and I'm going to catch a monster brown trout and probably a muskie. That's the way it's going to work. You know, because mm-hmm. there's huge muskies in there. Mm-hmm. But, um, I just, it's funny, like trying Before to retrain your brain. Last weekend, I saw about 20 guys catching stripers left and right on the Delaware. So just be forewarned. Go get your hopes up for a shad because I didn't see one damn gigantic shad swimming around. As long as I, as long as I break my skunk, I'm good to go, man. I don't even care what it is at this point. I just want to get something. Catch a sunny. <laughs> um, I'll, well, you know what? Uh, that's that's what it's going to come down to. Is I'm going to take the fly rod down to the lake and uh, just toss it in there like tiny little flies, and I'll catch a sunny or something that, that way. But um, I'm hoping uh, that this weekend, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe the shad the shad runs happening, man. It's uh, they look fun. It's, it's, I've been watching a couple of videos of it. They do look awesome to catch. Uh, it's a I don't know why they call him a poor man's tarpon because my buddy, Jesse, last time we were on the Potomac, he snagged one of those and that thing just went dead weight. Like, no. Like, and that was snagged in the back of the dorsal fin. Usually when you get one of the snagged in the dorsal fin, any fish, no, it you goes like, give away. Crazy, like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Try it. I don't know. Oh, hey, big, you know what? what kind of, what are the shad called? I mean, what, what, what subspecies of shad are they? I have no idea. Because... You send me Maybe. that thing. Looking at it, I'm like, oh. well, I'm sending you pictures. Yeah, um, it's oh. So here you go. First thing when you when you Google it, Delaware River Shad Fishermen's Association. Look at this. This guy's a hog, man. Hold on, let me uh, see if he's got pictures up here that I can share. Shad recipes. They not have photos on here. <laughs> Who are you laughing at? Oh, shad recipes. I. It's hard to like jump. Looks like from a giant to pieces. Kind of. That's an American. Sh- the American shad run. Yeah. On the Delaware River. Yeah, I guess they get bigger. Yeah, it's it, this. There's two people holding this one shad in the photo on top here. Um. Like a yeah, situation. NJ Department of Fish and Wildlife here. Oh, that's all another thing we can talk about. That was hysterical. But here you go. Uh, Lewis Fishery Report, 4-13-21. What a beautiful night on the river, clear and sunny. This is on the New Jersey government website. Not the grand damp we had on Monday night. The water temp was 59 degrees and the height was 2.7. We continued with the 200 yards in net. We brought in a total of 67 shad. We kept two buckets and 
two bucks and 17 row. We returned 48 shad, three catfish, and two gizzard shad. So there are gizzard shad in there as well. There you go. All right. So 59 degrees on the Delaware. Um, Lewis Fishery Report. Yeah, but you right? notice how they said they were fishing during the night? Yeah. Shad are more are really active during the night. Well, That's the one thing you also got to keep in mind. That seems like uh, that's the time of night to be, or time of day rather, to be catching stripers too. Yeah, they start honestly. spawning at 65. And here you go. The For Sun those of you who do fish for the shad, they are saying that anglers are asked to report American shad in the Poland's Kill and Musconnect on rivers. So they're trying to see how they're moving their way back in there. Um, as the river herring or alewife and black back herring um, are rebounding in there they seem to be kind of making their ways up there so that's kind of cool um so you can catch them in the musconectron and pollen's kill which is nice um the, the this website for those of you who have never gone through your department of fish and wildlife or dc whatever it is absolutely hysterical if you go i, I had no idea that we have a um, where the heck is it it's the what did i say what, what did i say it was joe it was the um Open? They have a, a meeting. Oh, the meeting, it, the meeting. Oh, my God. It was absolutely yeah. hysterical. Um, so anyway, so they do this meeting, I guess, quarterly or something like that, where they have this board of directors for the Fish and Wildlife, and they open the floor up to, you know, questions, comments, whatever. And um, as you can imagine, in the world that we live in now, you know, there's no in-person meeting, so it's Zoom, which means that every Tom, Dick, and Jane can dial in and say whatever it is that they want during the whole thing. Um, so while I'm, it, 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 the comments were pretty hysterical. I'll link to it in the show notes. I, I don't think I need to get into it here, um, but pretty freaking funny. Um, we did have a bunch of updates. I, I thought it was pretty awesome. It, um, Skillful Angler program, we talked about it before. So far this year, the muskie, the largest muskie caught was 50 inches, right? The big muskie. That's a big yeah, muskie. That's a big fish. Largest northern pike was 35 inches. Largemouth bass, this one was for you, Joe, 22 and a half inches. I wish they would give the weight, though. Yeah, me too. Well, so this is for catch and release only right now. So um, Weigh that thing, put it back in the water. You would, you would hope, but yeah, a lot of guys don't. Like if you um, talk to real, like for example, the pond that Brennan's working company in the pond the two ponds that brennan's managing he's got the head um biologist for mlf and he's, he's a big fish biologist throughout the country working with him really track these fish you need to be catching them which you're supposed to do is you're supposed to weigh them you're supposed to weigh their girth like measure their girth and their length because that tells them whether or not they're healthy what age they are etc 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 because you could get a 22 inch fish and it could be what did he call one that was like 19 inches and was like two and a half pounds and you know that fish is older and dying is what the biologist told him mm -hmm. so 19 well, cents well let's pivot from fishing so brian you're looking to sell some boards yeah you know i was actually uh so i've been watching uh there's there's a i guess you call him a surf coach out of australia his name's uh, i'll give him a shout out his name's uh kel brock uh, it's his vlog is uh, Kale's Broccoli or something like that. It's on YouTube. It's a great series. A lot of like, uh, is, is he a vegan? 
No, I don't think so. At least I don't know. He seems like he's Australian. You can't be Australian Weird. vegan. Let's I'm be sure honest. you can, man. There's a lot of vegans and hippies down in Australia. I, I doubt it. But um, he uh, he does a lot of like surf content, like surf heavy. Had to had to train, how to get better on land, you know, things like that. And uh, he he just started a series about um about what the you know like basically it was kind of like a. a an everyday man stab in the dark series. So those listeners don't know stab in the dark. It's basically uh, where they give the pro surfer, uh, you know, like 10 different surfboards just with numbers, all blacked out. So they don't know which, which shape or shaped what, and then they ride it in whatever conditions they have that day. And they try to rate them, you know, and see which one's the best. Um, well, this one, he's doing it better because they have the urban surf uh, wave pool down in Australia somewhere. I don't know where. Um, but it's the same wave over and over and over. So he got all these people to send him surfboards and he's going to leave them all at the, at the wave pool after for the, for the wave pools, uh, quiver. And he's going to test them all. And it, it got me thinking, you know, it was time to refresh a little bit quiver wise. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to post some boards, I think on, uh, on the marketplaces and, uh, see, see who what, wants what. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to, I think I'm going to sell three and just get one. Um, but yeah. What are your thoughts? What do you, what do you want at this point? Um, so I have right now, I've been riding this one primarily, uh, it's, uh, even on bigger days, it's a, uh, it's a 510 lost RNF retro in the C4 technology. Uh, and it's like, uh, basically they, they put a, um, it's a layer of cork top on the top and bottom. And it just creates, you know, the, instead of putting a stringer in and it's made it EPS and it's real strong. And I, I can tell you guys, all our listeners that surf. I've surfed this board exclusively for a year and a half, probably I'd say two dozen sessions. And I'm, I'm a heavy guy, not a single ding on it. I pulled the wax the other day, not a single ding. So the, the tech is strong. And, you know, the, my one thing is, is when it's kind of an onshore day, I don't really, it's a little chattery um, as a heavier guy. Once again, it doesn't really bother me, but I could see a lighter person it being an issue. Uh, so, you know, it's the only downfall, but um so I derived that primarily. So my thought process here is to jump onto more of like a, like a standard shortboard, like a everyday shortboard, um, not quite what, a graveler. What constitutes as an everyday shortboard? All right. So uh, my leader ridge. So this, everyone cons, uh, kind of breaks down to leaders now uh, more than, than, you know, uh, how long the board is. So this one's a 510-37 liters. So that's for my groveling surfboard. So for, for the, shore... if I can just jump in for a second. Yeah, can yeah you, of course. Can you explain a little bit about the leaderage? What does it mean? Is it, you know? So the leader, your le- the leaders on the board is the displacement of water per inch of, of the foam. So depending on how much foam is left on the board, that determines how much leader and how much float it's going to have. So the reason why people go by that when they try to find, you know, like a surfboard is because uh, it, it dictates how much float you have uh, when you're paddling around in the water. So like, uh, for example, the, uh, when, when you go surf the wave pools, it's fresh water. So you're going to have to get a higher leader because there's less surface tension in a salt water versus a fresh water. Uh, now that leader is, does it change per weight of the surfer? Yeah. So, um, you know, so right now I'm, I'm about 180. Um, so I'm, I, I always go on a little bit extra, you know, form is your friend. That was always kind of how I was taught at least my, my surf cousin down there. Um, so the, the more, more form you got, the better. Um, I, so 37 
for most people would be like, you know, top end kind of like when, when it's two foot and onshore, that's the board they would ride during the summer. This is for me is, is perfect board when it's, you know, let's say two to four foot, maybe even a little more if it's, uh, it's a little chunky and not too steep. Um, I'd be riding this board at 37 liters. Um, for a short board, let's say when it gets a chest high or better, or if it's like waist high and, um, you know, more hollow and above, you know, anything when it gets real kind of hollow, which Jersey gets hollow a lot, uh, you would want what I would call an everyday short board. And uh, your leader, the leaders you would have in that board and, uh, you know, a lot of shapers are kind of frown at, at me talking about this leader because they, they don't think that really matters that much, but I, I think it does because it, it really controls how much bite you get into the wave. And the more square the wave is, the more bite you want. And the rails have a lot to do with that, but how thin and how much, how far you are sinking into the wave, you know, that has a lot to do with how it performs in those waves as well. Yeah, so more for, foams are to make you float easier and catch the waves easier. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, the short board, I, I would go like 30, 34. So three liters less and, you know, I'd go a little longer, probably like six, two in my standard short board. But, um, you know, I might even go a local shaper on this one. Um, I really like the guy, Brian Wynn, you know, every time interaction I've had with him, I've, I've, uh, been a fan and everyone seems to like him. Um, you know, obviously watching this, I looks like, uh, I, I always like swallow tails for short boards. Um, you know, for the people who don't know that the tail would be like that. Um, my, my picture, short board, I've been riding picture a, a swallow and that's what it looks like. Yeah, the back of exactly. The bird. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I just appearance wise, um, the other, or I would go a round tail, not, not a big fan of squash tail. And that for me, it's just literally just on aesthetics. Um, performance wise, I know people like squash cause it releases better, but for me, I think, uh, the swallowtail and the round tail have better range when it comes to waves. So the swallowtail, you can kind of grovel on if it's a little smaller, a little fat section, you just skate it over it on the round tail, same deal, but, uh, it does a little better in the barrel if you're getting barreled, which I don't get barreled too often, but you know, I always try. Don't we all? Yeah. You want to be able to go out there and surf, you know, you don't yeah. have to wait for the perfect day where it's pits no. and it's just like, you know, you get in this dream conditions because you don't get those off. I mean, Jersey gets them more often than a lot of places, but still it's not frequent. You know? No, maybe once or twice a month people, right now it's max, but well, there's no such thing as a perfect time or perfect day for anything. Right. And that's why yeah make the most of the most of the days you have right most of us are what i would call weekend warriors where mm -hmm. you know we're doing things on our time off um and if it's not perfect you're still gonna go um i mean obviously if it's horrendous blowout blown out conditions you're not gonna do it right but um if it's just knee slappers or ankle slappers you're still gonna do it absolutely why not yeah back in the day you guys Brian might be a little too young to remember this. All the guy, all the kids wanted were shortboards because they would just see these guys out there ripping, you know, like pipe and like these like small little short boards with no foam. And then they would get to Ocean City, Maryland, and they would have like a five eight thruster and like just couldn't catch a single damn thing. Yeah, you know, it was nice to see that fad's kind of going away. Yeah, but Brian, hey, I remember the day was doing the like thicker foam and like he's he's been on that for a while. When yeah. And, you know, he's, he's, he's back in Jersey and, um, you know, I'm giving, giving a lot of airtime here, but, uh, he's, uh, I'm sure he, he appreciates it. Yeah, I'm sure he's a hockey fan. So I'll give it to him. Um, but, uh, he, uh, 
it seems like he he's a, a fan of the foam as well. Um, even even like you know like everything he posts uh, that he's he's shaping right now, it looks like everything's thicker. And it seems like a lot of people are going to mid sizes, uh, mid lengths. Um, I toyed with the idea of jumping on a mid length, but to be honest, I have I have a, a seven, I think it's a seven six, and then I have a, a foamy I ride too, um, which you know most days you know and i have a you know i'll just jump away from from brian Wynn conversation i had a um the guy we used to surf with back in the day he was actually a roommate of a, of my main surf buddy um he told me in new jersey you need to always have the right board for the right day so in his car every day he had four boards and four four boards of like varying sizes and lengths and it was just every day he would he would he would go to the inlet and he would only surf the inlet and he would go look at it, decide which one of the four he's going to grab. He'd grab that one and he'd go have a good time. To me, that always stuck. So nowadays, when I, whenever I go surf, doesn't matter when. I mean, we always have sneaker swells always. You know, like it says two feet, 10 seconds. You can have that high waves. Um, but uh, I always have three or four boards in the car, just, just in case. Um, but, you know, Brian's, uh, he's shaping good, some good stuff and everything looks really, really nice and clean. So, you know. It might give him a chance. He makes good boards. Yeah, you know, he does. Under, you yeah, we, we carried right? his, we carried his boards for a while. Yeah, we like them a lot. Oh, that's awesome, uh, guys. We are nearing the top of the hour here. Um, awesome. Even though we started a little late, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it. It is cool. Guys, I appreciate it. Um, thank you for tuning in. And if you like what you heard, please give us a little like, a subscription, a comment, all of the above, please. Um, if you like Joey's face, I'm going to go ahead and switch my view here to gallery so you can see him making the goofy face. Uh, you know, please do so. And we'll join you again next week uh, to talk about a little bit more stuff as we truck along. Maybe Joe will win a tournament. Maybe I'll this catch is a big one this weekend. This, this is the big one. I'm not going to catch a shot. If I catch a shot, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to freeze it and mail it to your ass. <laughs> <laughs> if you could, please. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to unfreeze it. I'm going to put it on a hook and toss it in the water. And okay, it. we can do it. I got it. Yeah. I got one. Yeah. Got one. Yeah. Well, well, did you get your uh, GoPro? Let's uh, do that. I told, I told you. I have Ship to go to, to South Carolina. Brennan has it. It's Brennan. I thought he was it's mailing it to GoPro. you. You told me to get him to mail it to me. I'm back. I'm down. I'm down there. Like, uh, what's today? I have like this tournament. Weeks, three weeks. I have another tournament in the Bay, and then that's on a Sunday. I think I'm going down that Monday or Tuesday because then we have May 1st on Hartwell. It's coming so quick, man. I will bring yeah. it home with me next time. You better, man. You better. All righty, lady. Brian, get out there and do some trout fishing this weekend. I want to see some pictures. Might might do that or uh, sneak out and get a surfing. Looks like a little bit swell, maybe. You gotta surf. Wow. Yeah, go surf and use your GoPro. Yeah, you're right. Actually, funny enough, I I uh, I put it on the charger uh, this this afternoon, so I should be ready. Well, it should it should take three days to charge. So I think you're <laughs> you might <laughs> at this point, right? You haven't used yeah. it in that long. All right, guys, I appreciate you. All right, Have a good all right, later, guys. See you later. later. later.